It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. All right, guys, uh, we are going through a series called The Muscular Christian, and there's been some good stuff in this series. I mean, it's just been a rich uh, meditation on uh, the strength of the Christian, of what God intends to build inside of us, and I'm just, I love this type of meditation. I think this is the seventh installment, and uh, this one uh, is going to be inspired uh, through my uh, conversation with the advanced students yesterday. So the advanced students are going to recognize something in this. Uh, I call it the awkward zone. This wasn't in my series, in my original notes, and I, I injected it uh, in. And it, I think it's, there's multiple reasons, though. Also, we usually do something during a semester, and I share a certain story, and we never had that moment, and so I'm I have come up with a creative way of still getting it into our semester. And so you're going to notice I'm weaving all sorts of unique things together today, but I'm really excited about this, the, the awkward zone. So it'd be fascinating if I queried the uh, advanced students to ask them what the awkward zone is, because that's what we talked about uh, yesterday. Not intentionally, it just sort of came out of the message. But uh, the awkward zone is what this is called. Doesn't that sound like a fun message? It might be a little awkward at times, though. So... Uh, the comfort zone versus the awkward zone. Which one do you gravitate towards? Uh, it's interesting, but every single one of us naturally gravitates towards the comfort zone. There's a certain zone in which we feel comfortable. Socially, uh, we were, you know, this is where it came up yesterday. We were talking about communications yesterday with the advanced students. And some of you would say, well, that's just, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Like, for instance, you could talk with one person and feel totally comfortable. You could talk with four people, uh, maybe like your, your lunch table. You could talk, you know, I don't know how many there are in a lunch table, seven, eight, and you feel comfortable, okay? It's a little more uncomfortable, but, you know, it's in your comfort zone. And then if I asked you to come up here and speak, what's the difference? Why is there a difference between you just talking to one person, eight people, and then talking to everyone? I don't know what that is, but it's out of comfort zone. And ironically, God moves in our life when we are willing to follow the Holy Spirit outside of our comfort zone. Our comfort zone oftentimes defines our limitations and we say, no, no, I won't do that. No, I, I refuse to do that. However, when we do that, when we refuse to step out of that comfort zone, we're also refusing the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. God's grace is made manifest when we're willing to step outside of that territory that we would understand as our comfort zone into what today we're going to describe as the awkward zone. It is. It's exactly what it is. It's awkward. And if any of you have ever shared the gospel with someone, by very definition, sharing the gospel falls into awkward territory. I'm not exactly sure why that is, except for it seems to be a, a principle in the kingdom of heaven. When we live in this natural realm, there are certain rules by which we abide. And one of them is to, you know, give personal space to, to people around you and to not interfere in the matters of their soul. And so as a result, when we begin to share the gospel, we feel it. And if you've ever had it where you have this sense that the Holy Spirit is saying, talk to them, ah, it's an immediately awkward situation. And then if any of you have ever done that where you walk up to someone and you bounce on your toes a few times, you're like, hi, 
Uh, you can talk with them about anything, but talking with them about Jesus, for whatever reason, immediately puts you into an awkward zone. Your brain gets fuzzy. Your reasoning is unclear. It is hard. Your tongue feels like it's triple the size. It's like a felt eraser in your mouth. <laughs> it is more difficult to communicate in the natural sense. However, when you are willing to enter into that territory, God moves in a mighty way. So I'm going to walk through a whole bunch of different stories. You know how I've had different messages at Ellerslie that sort of go into story mode? This is sort of like one of those. I have a whole bunch of stories uh, this morning, so it's going to be an interesting message. The ancient Waldensian training method. The Waldensians are... Uh, an ancient group of Christians, very fascinating study. If you ever want to study one of the, uh, this, this people group, uh, especially during the Middle Ages, when a lot of people feel that the light of truth went out, and it's called the Dark Ages, and so the light was snuffed out, where there was a light, and it was held in the Italian Alps by a group called the Waldensians. It's an incredible study in, in Christian history. But in this time period, the church had gone, if I could say it this way, corrupt, and uh, there was a lot of error that had crept into the church, and it was what was known as the Catholic Church, which just means the global or the worldwide church. So, uh, but the Catholic Church at that time would basically kill people if they ever had the scriptures, and it wasn't in Latin, and they were actually going around sharing the gospel and evangelizing and sharing about Jesus. They would kill you. They would torture you and kill you. Okay, so this is a very odd time in history, you have to admit. That's weird, right? That's what was happening. And so what we have is this group that lived in the mountains. They actually lived in caves. And they had the scriptures, and they would hand transcribe them. And they would carry them out into the countryside, risking their life every time they would. And so they would go into villages as merchants. And they would sell uh, merchandise. And they would pray the whole while. And they would try and sense if that person was ready to hear the gospel. And if they were, they would risk their life and share with them the gospel. And they would do it by describing a pearl of great price, something so valuable that it literally would be worth you selling everything to get. And they possessed it, and they were willing to introduce it to them if they were willing to hear about it. And so they would literally go through this process, and many of them died sharing the gospel. I mean, that's a whole other level. I mean, if you go up to someone at King Supers down the road to share the gospel, it's awkward, yes. But this is a whole new level of difficulty. And yet, whoa, the power of God that moved through these people because they lived in that territory. They lived in the awkward zone. That's what they did. So the way that they trained young people, because that would be us. We would be the young ones, the, uh, the older ones. They were known as barbs, which is awkward because my mom's name is Barb. And so that's always felt a little weird to me. But the, the, the older uh, men were known as the barbs. They were the mentors. They were the leaders. And so they would go out in twos. And so you'd have a barb and you would have a young man. And this young man was scared to death, just like we would be. In other words, he's not used to the awkward zone. Every single one of us pops out of our mother's womb with a sense of craving comfort. We don't naturally go towards that which would be more difficult in our life and that which would make us look odd to the world. We gravitate towards self-preservation. And so they knew that. They recognized that to train these young men to go boldly into this world and to cross that threshold into the awkward zone, they needed help. You see, this is something that we have not had in our generation. We didn't have barbs. Barbs would literally, when they would come to the edge of that city, 
when you hit that barrier, I mean, the man is trembling. The young man is trembling within. I mean, this is a very real thing. These are guys that grew up with people in their life, the, the, the elders in their life being killed all the time. I mean, horrible deaths. And could you imagine then going out? Because you love Jesus, you're like, yes, I'm willing. I'm willing to go. But that doesn't mean you're not feeling it. In every fiber of your being, you're feeling that tremble. You're feeling that weakness. And so they would get to the edge of the city, and the barb would basically say, follow me. Even sometimes take his hand, and they would walk across the threshold of that city. And they would move forward, and that young man needed a pull. He needed someone to pull him across that line. Once he would cross that line, it was like the grace of God would flood him, and a boldness and a courage would enter into the young man. But it's a line that he would never cross on his own. And many of us have come to that. We come to that place where we know what we ought to do. We know that this territory is where we should be living, but we don't have someone pulling us across. And so that's always been something that's been in my mind since a young age, is I, I wanted someone to pull me across. I didn't have it. That's my life in a nutshell. I have not had someone to pull me across that line. But God, build me up to be someone who can pull others across the line. In other words, it's hard when you don't have someone pulling you across because you're like dipping your toe in and going, ah, dipping your toe in and going, ah, this, God, this is really cold water here. And yet once you cross that, if any of you have, you know the grace that begins to infuse into your life. I call it the threshold of, of obedience. I've called it that, I think, even before Leslie and I got married because this is what God was teaching me way back then. We've been married 25 years in December. I've always called it the threshold of obedience. There is a threshold is like, you know, you walk through a door, that's a threshold. It's a crossing into a new environment. And we know instinctively when we get to that threshold. We know when, have you ever had it where you know that God wants you to speak to someone, you're in a conversation with them and you're supposed to bring something up, but you hesitate? That's a threshold. It's a threshold where we know that if we do say yes, we're entering into dangerous territory, uncomfortable territory. It's out of our comfort zone into a zone of dependence. And we naturally recoil from that, which is why you can't live naturally. You need to live supernaturally. If you dig in your own pockets for that which you need to cross that line, you're not going to find it because it doesn't exist in you. It exists in the heavenly realms. It exists in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, when you get to that place, you have to know how to go to Christ and say, God, I need you to work through me. But you still have to step. You still have to move. You still have to begin to speak. Bourbon Street. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story. It's come up various times throughout Ellerslie history. And we have various projects that we've worked on where I've shared the story. But uh, the story is probably more humorous than it is profound. But it, it, it was profound to me. And because it was one of the first times in my life where I crossed the threshold of obedience. And so I'm a young missionary, and everyone was talking about street preaching, and they were excited about it. And I, I, I used to have this one line, it's like, well, I don't believe in street preaching, I believe in relational evangelism. Okay, that was my one line. And if you guys know what that means, that means over time, just sort of winning someone over to Christ by showing them love and building friendship. There's nothing wrong with that. I do it all the time, right? But this whole street preaching thing, where you're just sort of in their face, sharing the gospel, making enemies, that's my entire conclusion of what it was, right? It's like, you've got to be kidding. I don't do that. Okay, that is so rude, so inconsiderate of people around you. Here, here's what it is. It's awkward. 
It's in the uncomfortable zone. Let's just admit it, okay? So I want to define evangelism based on what makes me comfortable. There's certain things that I'm very comfortable in for evangelizing, and there's certain things I'm not. And so I have a tendency to try and find flaw in the ones I'm not attracted to and then try and justify the ones I am. And so I was down in New Orleans, and it was right before uh, Mardi Gras. And so it is, New Orleans is packed with people. I mean, it is, it is just overflowing with people. I don't know if any of you have ever had the miserable experience of being down there during Mardi Gras, but uh, it is like uh, the ultimate picture of fleshly worldliness. And there I am. That's right where I am. And I'm a missionary. I'm on a missionary team. And this missionary team gets the great idea of taking this big cross that they have and carrying it to Bourbon Street and standing right in the middle of Bourbon Street with the cross. And, of course, sharing the gospel with people. By the way, that don't want to hear it. Okay, that's what's going through my head. So they wanted to know if Eric Ludi was interested in coming with them. And I made some statement about maybe I wasn't feeling well or needed to pray that night. Or, you know, I had something. I don't remember what my excuse was, but you know how you work really quick to come up with an excuse? And I was like, oh, yeah, you guys can go. And this one guy was really interested in having me come. And I think they all were, but this one guy was sort of the sponsor to it. It's like, Eric, Eric, you know, are you sure you don't want to come? Yeah, no, you guys go, you guys go. Uh, and he said, hey, look, would you, would you mind just praying about it? I just really feel burdened that you should consider this. It's like, great. Uh, you know, when someone asks you to pray about something like that, I mean, I don't want to pray about if I should go to Bourbon Street. Come on. And so I... I knew I was supposed to go. I mean, I knew it. And I didn't like it that this guy kept pursuing me because it was like the Holy Spirit in my conscience. It's like, let me alone. This isn't the type of thing I do. I thought you were a missionary. Yeah, I'm a missionary, but not that sort. I'm the kind of missionary that stays in my comfort zone. (laughs) What kind of missionary is that? (laughs) And so I I, I agreed. And I could just see they had a private celebration over there. We got them. We got them. Let's show them how this works. It's like, oh, great. And so we're on our way. They had the, the cross broken up into two, part, two pieces, big, huge beam in a cross beam. And they're carrying it. We had to park miles away. I mean, it was so far away that we had to park because there's no parking anywhere near this. And it was just packed on a Friday night. And so we have these beams of wood. And I remember just thinking, how embarrassing is this? I mean, I was feeling it. I was feeling the public shame of being associated with these guys because they... They didn't seem to have the same social sensitivities I do. I mean, I grew up in suburbia, USA. I know that you're not supposed to do this. They didn't seem to get that. And so they're carrying these beams, and and I found myself walking a good distance away from them, sort of like, oh, I'm still headed in the same direction. I'm I'm not with them. It was weird, but I was, I felt the public disapproval over, how is anyone going to know that that's a beam of a cross, right? How would they know? It's just a piece of wood but it still looked weird. And I didn't want to be associated with that, but I didn't want to, I mean, God was convicting me even as I'm doing this, that it's like, Eric, why are you walking way over here? Well, you know, it's just like, I don't want to get hit by the wood and get a splinter or something. You know, I'm trying to justify why I'm disassociating myself, but that was awkward stuff. We get to Bourbon Street, and they're like trying to set up this cross in the middle of Bourbon Street with a mob of people around, and they had all these short people in the group. And they're like trying to reach up and pin it in. And one of them looks over at me and goes, Eric, we need some height here. Great. And so I had to walk up in the 
middle of Bourbon Street and help them fix that beam into the cross. Can you believe that? And so I do that, and I, I mean, I felt red-faced the whole while, and then I immediately just sort of uh, skedaddled over to the side into the shadows again. It's like, I'm not with them. It was weird, but it was so hard for me. I felt it, and I, so I'm, they're in the middle, and they're like getting yelled at and, you know, beer thrown on them, and people are cursing at them. And I'm standing over in the side, you know, bouncing on my toes. Uh, you know, I was totally distanced from them. I'm like evangelizing out there. I'm praying for people. God bless that person. That person needs you, I'm sure. And I, I mean, I'm not accomplishing anything, guys, right? And they're, they're like interacting with people boldly and courageously. And I felt so sheepish, so weak. And then one guy, I knew that they were conspiring towards this. One of them, after about a half hour, comes over and says, Eric, we wanted to know if you would hold the cross. What do you think Eric's answer to that would be? With how the story's been going so far, you're going to say, Eric's going to say, no way. You know what came out of my mouth? I still can't believe it to this day. I said, okay. (laughs) I didn't say that. I find myself walking over in a surreal daze. As I'm going, it's like, what's happening to me? What's going Someone's taking over my body. And I remember putting my arm around that cross, and my life changed. There was something that took place when I stepped across that threshold into the awkward zone, and I put my arm around that cross, and I stood with that cross as if to say, I'm with him. The grace of God flooded me in such an extreme measure. I mean, it was bubbling over. I had so much joy. In fact, I had never up to that point felt such extreme joy in all my life. I'm in the middle of Bourbon Street. People are yelling, cursing, throwing beer on me, wanting to pick a fight with me. I had such a smile that my face hurt. And I was there for about four hours. I didn't want anyone to take the cross from me. It was one of the greatest, up to that moment in life, one of the greatest experiences I'd ever had. Well, what was that? What do you think God's teaching me? He's teaching me what happens when I will cross that threshold. Because when you're on this side of the threshold and you stare over there, you're like, oh, that looks terrible. When you're over here, it's heaven. But you have to get over here to find out. Until you finally cross it, you will not know the grace of God. But when you cross it, what you find is his robust presence. So many of us are like, eh, I'm not exactly sure if I'm a believer of that, Eric. Well, you know, you can stay in your comfort zone. I know what it's like to bounce on my toes in the shadows of Bourbon Street and make no difference. I remember this one person, I was, I was so happy. This one person walked by and looked back at me. I looked at them as I, you know, I, I smiled like, hi. And they were like, huh. they looked away. And then they walked and I was following them in the crowd. And they went another 20 feet and they turned around and I was like, And they went another 50 feet or whatever. They were under something, and then they looked back, and I was still smiling, sort of like, hey, how you doing? And I mean, I was just having the time of my life. But that time of my life was found on the far side of that threshold, the place that almost every single one of us in here is going, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there. I get it. In fact, the next, when I was that night, some guy came up to me on the team and was like, hey, could I hold the cross? It was like one in the morning. And I was thinking, this is my cross. You get your own. Because up to that point, everyone that would see me knew exactly where I stood. The moment I gave up the cross, I mean, I felt like I was missing something. I wanted a cross. And 
that night, I mean, I was just shining. I wake up the next morning, and I remember just thinking, if someone asked me to go to Bourbon Street and hold a cross, I'd be scared afresh. It was weird. I woke up the next day, and I was looking at myself like, what did I do yesterday? What was wrong with me? It's weird. It's like we naturally go back into our comfort zone. You have to continually train yourself to cross this threshold so that you can help others across it. Most of us are so unfamiliar with living over here, we're having a tough time taking anyone else across it. The principle of the awkward zone. Grace is supplied when in the awkward zone. Grace is not supplied for the comfort zone. You see, when you remain in your comfort zone, you don't need grace. No, you're comforting yourself. You have everything you need for life and in your own substance when you're in the comfort zone. It's when you step into that uncomfortable zone that God meets you. And so that's the challenge we face because all of us desire a life infused by grace, empowered by grace. But we have to recognize that that is found when we say yes to the Spirit of God to do uncomfortable things. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know when you are staying over here and God is asking you to move forward across that threshold and you say no, that would be a good definition of pride. I want things my way, on my terms. I want to look good to this world. Why, why do, are you afraid of standing with that cross in Bourbon Street? It's pride is exactly what it is. And God resists the proud. There's no grace unto the proud. But when you humble yourself and you're willing to look the fool in the world's eyes, Grace floods into your life. So let's talk about grace to go into the awkward zone. This is a fascinating thing. This is what inspired it yesterday. We were talking about communication and how supernatural communication works because there's two forms of communication. One is communication out of the natural man. Some of you are just naturally good communicators. And so you can lean on what's in your own pockets to communicate. Some of you might not feel like you're naturally good communicators and so you hesitate to communicate doesn't matter which way you, it is for you. We don't communicate in the natural man. We communicate in the spiritual man. In other words, we give our life to Jesus and we say, my tongue is your tongue, my mouth is your mouth. What you want to speak, I will speak. I trust you to speak it because even when I'm over here, I cannot speak what my natural tongue would speak. I may be eloquent in a natural tongue, but I'm willing to be halting and foolish in my spiritual tongue and look an idiot to the world if necessary. You know that God loves to use foolishness? He will. That's why many of you will feel when you cross over that threshold, you get a little blurry-brained, and you feel a little like your tongue isn't functioning as smoothly as it was when you were in your comfort zone. It's like public speaking. When you move up, you immediately feel like there's a cloud. It's actually very normal. You'll find that in your spiritual movement, too. When you step into a situation where you're trying to share the gospel for the first time, It's like, what's the gospel? You can hardly remember it. It's just like, what's going on? My brain is not functioning. That feeling of vulnerability is very, very important for you to walk through, to recognize that God says, hey, how are you doing there? God, I just feel so weak. Don't try this in your own strength. Let me speak through you. And so in that, you'll recognize that you have an inerrant weakness when it comes to communicating the truth of the gospel. You can talk to your friends about it all day long. You can sound so intelligent. But then when you get into a situation to share the gospel, you feel weak, you feel foolish. That's good. That's awkward zone. Now God can speak through you. 
You have to let him. And that's part of what we need to coordinate. So look at Matthew. So Jesus is talking. You shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaks in you. So he's talking to ones that aren't necessarily known for being eloquent communicators. Okay, a good majority of them are fishermen. Okay, these guys don't spend their life discoursing and having deep conversation and philosophizing. And so what we have is a lower rung of educational uh, learning. And these men are the ones God is choosing to communicate his truth. So he says, here's what I want you to know. If you will step across that threshold into the awkward zone and you will be my messenger, I will give you the words. Do you trust that? And so for all of us, we need to recognize that as we take that step, God is going to meet us there. God is going to communicate through us. Luke 21. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. God is the one that desires to speak through us. Our job, and there's multiple scriptures that I can give you to show you that you need to prepare yourself and always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have inside of you. You need to study to show thyself approved with how you handle scripture. There's certain things you need to be doing. But when it comes to that communication in the awkward zone, you trust your God that he will speak through you. The grace of God will meet you and you will have things to say that you would not have otherwise. I can't tell you how many times I have crossed this awkward zone to talk to people in a situation where it's like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And that I will say things that were not pre-planned. And then that person will say, how did you know that? You ever had that happen? How did you know that? And how do I explain that? Well, God knew that. Well, how did you say it then? It's sort of hard to explain how this works. But that's what happens in the awkward zone. You actually have insight, wisdom, supernatural understanding to say things that you would not otherwise have. There are moments that change our lives and define who we are. So my life could be defined through a series of stories. In fact, I think I've given a sermon in the past, and I don't remember what it's called, but like moments that define us. It's something like that. I don't remember the exact name of it. But where I literally go through my life and the trajectory of my life is defined by these things. What's interesting about these moments is they're all awkward moments. Every one of them. My life is defined in the awkward moments. How I handle that awkward zone is actually how my life is defined. When we halt, when we hinder the forward progression of the Spirit of God in our life and we don't cross that threshold, we don't grow. We don't see the power of God revealed in our life and we stunt our development. So, listen to this. There are moments that change our lives and define who we are, and they are all in the awkward zone. So, when you get to this threshold, you have to recognize God is desiring to take you forward. He's desiring to move you forward. So, it could happen in the smallest ways. It could be someone in Starbucks that he wants you to come up and just ask a question to. It's like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. could be the guy who's checking you out at King Supers. It's like, I don't want to say anything to him. It could be, I, I always have it. The awkward ones is when you're walking in and you're passing someone who's getting in their car and God's like, hey, that person. God, they're, they're like getting in their car. Oh, they're in their car. 
I, I don't, they're already in their car, I, 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 and I need to get something from the, from the store. Okay, you follow me? These are, these are moments like, God, don't do that. Give me something, just serve it up for me that fits the way I work. I don't want to go up to someone's window and go, kink, kink. No, like, excuse me, can I help you? Yeah, uh, hi. Uh, okay, I don't know if you've ever been in these circumstances, but they're not fun. They're awkward. And that's where the grace of God will meet you. Monroe, Louisiana, defining moment in my life. If I were to go into all the backstory, it would take too long to share the story. But I have been driving down the road with our missionary team. And this is, you know, I'm 19 or so. And God had been working on my life. I've radically given my life to Jesus and every aspect of my life. And so maybe I was 20. I don't remember exactly how old I was. And uh, so in, the, in a, the arena of relationships and sexuality, I had given, I, I'd blown it so many times. And I just said, God, you take this area. The next girl that I date is going to be my wife. It was like this statement. I'd never seen him. Jim Elliott was the only guy I had a model for this from. And so I was living rather different, and I wasn't pursuing the opposite sex. And so we're driving down the road, and all these guys are talking about relationships in the bus, and they asked me a question about my future wife. And I made a statement how, you know, I, I loved her even now before I met her. And this one leader on the team was really upset with that. That's impossible. You can't love someone you've never met. Like, well, I do. So what do you say about that? And so it, we, we had this very difficult, it was a very uncomfortable exchange, and I wasn't too happy about it. I was like, oh, excuse me, you know, don't, don't ask me a question if you're going to start rebuking me for my answer. And so that happened. Then we get to Monroe, Louisiana, and there's this huge youth rally that is taking place. Now, so there's like 700, 800 kids that are there, and our group was just going to show up and serve, right? The leadership comes up to our leadership, and says, uh, you know, do you have someone in your team that could speak for like 10 minutes about purity? And one of the people that was in the bus, not the leader that had gotten mad at me, but this other person was like, hey, uh, Eric Ludy has a lot to say on that. <laughs> this is my first speaking engagement on purity, by the way, okay? And so the leader uh, comes up to me and says, Eric, you're going to be speaking today on purity uh, in just a few minutes. What, and I, what's funny is even when he said that, I knew what I was supposed to say. It was like I was prepared for it. But, okay, you can't define a more awkward zone than what I was about to walk into. Because I already know that my team is somewhat disgruntled with me over my views. Okay? And at this time, in Christianity, what I stand for, and what you've, if any of you have read Leslie's in my books on, on relationships, what we represented was unheard of at the time. And so it was... It was against the tide. And now I've been asked in just a few minutes to speak. And I remember I knew what I was supposed to speak, and I did not want to. And I was sitting in one of the few, first few rows, and I'm staring up at the stage, and I'm praying. I'm like, God, please, give me an out. Give me something else to say other than that. I can't. God, I know that no one is going to want this. No one is going to receive this. It's like I sensed it. I, one of my senses that I have as a public communicator is I know an audience. And I knew this audience, and I knew they didn't want what God was stirring in me to speak. And so they introduced me, mispronounced my name, and I walk up there, and I mean, I was trembling. I only spoke for a few minutes. And what I spoke, not one person moved. It was like dead silent. All you'd hear every now and then is a, <clears throat> 
And what I said is that all of you may have heard about external purity and abstinence, but I don't know if you've ever heard about purity of the inner man, that God desires you to be pure in your thought life, to be spiritually a virgin, not just physically, that God is after your heart and the inside of your life, not just the outside. You could be like, yeah, of course. Oh, back then, this was a huge deal. And I said, this is where God wants to start in your life. And some of you need to make things right with God because you're allowing something on the inside of your life that is harming your future marriage. It's harming your development as a Christian. You know, I'm this young guy. I don't remember how well I said it. I don't remember hardly anything about it except for I was trembling when I was saying it and no one, it was like a hostile audience. And I got done and the leader after me comes bouncing out and, you know, he's like this on his toes. There's been a lot of bouncing on toes today. And he says, well, I'm not here to preach holiness. That's how it was followed. And then my team sort of forms a committee that confronts me afterwards and says that I brought condemnation and that I needed to repent. This is how it was received. My first talk on purity, this is how it went over, guys. And I tell you what, I said, guys, I said what I did because I love you. I I wasn't meaning for any condemnation to come as far as I'm concerned, it's just conviction. When the Spirit of God is convicting us of sin, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I can't can't repent for doing what I feel God was leading me to do. And I did it out of love. Oh, this is awkward. Okay, everything about it. I was in the awkward zone and I felt completely alone. And that moment in my life defines a trajectory. Look at what happens. I mean, Leslie and I have Literally, our ministry travels around the world for about a decade. We have over 12 books on that topic. One of them is still to this day one of the best-selling books in Christian history on that topic. Okay? Where did it start? The awkward zone, where I literally step across this threshold and no one wants to hear it. Oh, that's not a fun place to be. The sleeper car. So Leslie and I, uh, I have... I've, yes, I have uh, proposed to her by this time. So I have proposed to Leslie we're not married. And uh, Leslie and I are on a trip with my family out to the East Coast. And we, it's a train trip. My dad has, you know, bought all these tickets for us and we have these sleeper cars. So I had a sleeper car. My sister and Leslie had a sleeper car. My parents had a sleeper car, okay? And so that was just how this trip was working. And we were in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I was concerned we were going to miss our train. And my mom was like, Eric, dear, we'll be fine. And I'm like, I'm, I'm the time guy, you know. So I'm like, we're going to hit rush hour in Boston. And I'm not sure this is And she's like, Eric, I don't want to hear it again. Let's just relax and have fun. Well, we missed our train, okay. Or I should, <laughs> should say it this way. My parents missed it because my dad still had to drop off a rental car. We got dropped off. My sister, Leslie, and I got dropped off at the train station. My parents missed it. And we went from Boston to Chicago, where my sister had to get off. So we had two sleeper cars. My parents still had one. And we had two sleeper cars. And uh, so I was in one, and my sister and uh, Leslie were in the other. But because my parents missed the train, from Chicago to Denver, it was supposed to be my dad and I in a sleeper car, and then Leslie and my mom on the way back to Denver. My parents weren't there, which means we have one sleeper car, and it's for Leslie and me. Okay, so this is a defining moment in my life. Talk about awkward. Okay, so we, there, the, play, the train was packed, so there is no extra seats even in coach. There's no place to go. So we're in a sleeper car together, and 
I had this acute sense, it's hard to describe it, but I had this acute sense that my entire generation was watching to see how I would respond to this. See, most people don't live that way where they recognize that the decisions they're making actually impact others. But I had this sense that I had a generation that was gonna say, so Eric, how would you handle that situation? And I really, I really wanted to be in that sleeper car with Leslie. And there's no other place in the train to be, so as far as I'm concerned, no one needs to know, and I don't need to do anything bad. It's just, this is where I wanna be. I wanna be with the girl I'm about to marry. Oh, it was miserable. There was an awkward zone right in front of me, and I knew what it was, that I needed to do whatever it took to protect and to preserve the integrity of this relationship that God had built, because it was supernatural. Our love story is literally one of the greatest love stories, if not the greatest love story of all time. <laughs> and it was hanging in the balance. And I, I still remember the decision was so painful and so difficult and awkward would be a very good description of it. But I told Leslie that I was going to go to the observation car. That's where I spent the night. I spent the night, and observation cars are made with plastic seats on purpose so that you don't stay there long. And so I'm in the observation car in this plastic seat, and I'm trying to sleep all night long. It was one of the most miserable nights of my life. And so this porter is always walking through... And then I, when, the, when the door would open, I'm like, oh, and then it walked through the other side. Oh, all night long. Oh. And yet, it defines the trajectory of my life. When you take those steps into territory that is uncomfortable, a plastic seat, all night long, misery, when I could just sleep in a normal bed and be innocent. However, the integrity of what we represent as Christians is so critical. When you are asked to do something by the Spirit of God, how do you respond? Because we can justify a mile, you know, a thousand miles an hour. Have you ever noticed that? We can come up with all our reasons, but when we know what we ought to do, we need to do it. Mount Horeb. Uh, my timing is uh, challenged. Uh, see, this is, this is a story that I will share in the most embarrassing moments night, which we didn't have. We sort of had a little flicker of it. But this is a very significant moment in my life, which is going to show you, again, it's going to take this very idea of the awkward zone and sort of unveil the pattern. So I'm in a prayer time with God. This is, you know, I'm like 21, maybe. And God's teaching me how to wait on him, how to listen to him, how to study his word, and to allow him to speak to me. And so in this time, I feel like God speaks to me. This, Mount Horeb. It's that simple. Never heard of it in my life. Mount Horeb, what? And so I looked it up and it was in the Bible. That was weird. So I studied it. And it's the mountain of the Lord. This is literally where we're going to see a burning bush and we're going to see Ten Commandments. And so it's surrounded by fire, smoke. It's an untouchable mountain. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? This is God's place. This is God's presence. And so God begins to deposit this within me, and God begins to build a story in my life with this. And so I'm very sensitive to Mount Horeb from this point forward, and I'm studying the mountain of the Lord, and I'm recognizing that Jesus Christ has made a way for me to ascend it. 
that in and of myself, if I try and keep the law, I have no access to God's presence, to his holy presence. But in Christ Jesus, I have access. So this is, I'm like understanding this in a whole new way just by studying this. Meanwhile, I have this girl in my life, and her name is Leslie, and uh, she's five years younger than me. Our, our love story, I'm not going to go into it, but it's, it's really good. Have I mentioned that? Uh, it's, a, it's a very good love story. And so in this time, there's this, there's this one moment where we're down in New Orleans and uh, on a missions trip with her family and my family, and we're driving back, and I, I wanted to honor my future spouse which I wasn't at the time thinking was Leslie. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. She's five years younger. That wasn't even in my thought life. And uh, so I wanted to honor my future spouse, and I was spending a lot of time with this young girl. We took voice lessons together. We'd sing, sing duets together. Uh, and she was on this missions trip with me. I was spending a lot of time with her. She was so precious to me. I wanted to show her and model for her a godly man. But I, I was thinking if my wife came into my life right now, would she feel threatened by this young girl? Oh, great. Uh, and again, awkward zone here. So I remember we're driving down the road. Everyone's sleeping in the back. We're in some minivan. And Leslie was in the passenger seat. I'm driving. <sighs> How do I say this? How do I say that we need to create some kind of separation here? I, I just want it for your protection, for my protection, for your future spouse, for my future spouse. And it wasn't going over well, okay? I could tell I was hurting her. And I didn't know how to say it. So I remember stopping. I remember staring at the top uh, of the windshield. I was like, God, I need grace right now. I, I don't know how to do this. I, I mean, I could just be quiet, right? But instead, I'm like stepping into awkward zone territory. And so God gave me grace. I, I it felt like honey started to flow out of my lips. and I, I, She got it. She got it. It was one of the most significant moments in our relationship is that talk. And while we were uh, talking about this, I remember I made a statement which really bothered me when I said it because once it was out, it was just there. It was floating around. And it was, I think, because I, I wanted correction. I wanted God to sort of give me wisdom on this. And this is what I said. I said, I think I need to talk with your dad. Then I, after I said it, I was like, oh, what? The only time you ever talk with a dad is if you're going to propose, you know, going to ask for his daughter's hand. I'm like, oh, no. And then she said, I think you should too. And then she's saying, what did I just say? Yes, both, both of us are... <laughs> Both of us are all awkward there. And uh, so I leaned down, and we, this is in the days when you'd have tape cassette players in your car as opposed to CD players or digital uh, stuff that we have now. And so I, I press, I push the tape in, you know, just to sort of do something to throw off the atmosphere. And this song comes on. It was a Twyla Paris cassette. And this song called How Beautiful comes on, which is about Christ and his radiant bride. And it, it starts, and I start crying. I don't cry, okay? I, am, I just don't cry. Up to that point, it was like, it was so rare if I ever cried, so unusual, but this song comes on. I didn't even know what the song was. I wasn't because of the words. I just start crying. I'm like, well, God, hey, God, hold me together here. <laughs> and so I could not talk the whole song. And Leslie's sort of glancing over at me, and I have tears streaming. I'm like, God, what is this? And it's talking about Christ and his radiant bride. I'm like, God, may she not read into this. <laughs> So we have this whole week, and it's called Weird Week. Okay, that's what we called it. That's what I called it. Leslie isn't too impressed with my naming of it. But it was Weird Week where both of us are praying that God would give us wisdom of how to navigate through this because this was uh, just difficult. And, you know, I wasn't planning on pursuing a relationship with Leslie. She wasn't planning on pursuing a relationship with me, and this wasn't what we were praying about. We just needed wisdom on how to properly have a friendship that honored our future spouses. So we didn't spend the whole week together. We were just praying. At the end of that week, we both go to the same voice lesson, 
And we drive into Denver for it. And uh, then afterwards, I was singing at a wedding. And so I, could you come with me? It's a rehearsal dinner. A rehearsal, not a rehearsal dinner. It was a rehearsal. Is that what, what do you, when you practice the ceremony. I mean, so, uh, so we go to that. And I had my song. And I'm waiting there. And she's sitting next to me. And this other person gets up to practice their song. What song do you think it is? At the end of this week, it's How Beautiful. And as this person is singing, you know what happens to me? Like, what in the world? And so I could not even hold myself together. I'm a mess again. Then I needed to get up and sing a song. But the whole while I'm thinking, don't let Leslie read into this, okay? Why in the world in this week that we're praying about our relationship do I keep fumbling around uh, when, when we start having this song on Christ and his bride? It's like, oh, come on. And so that happened. I'm just going to notate that that happened. That becomes important later in the story. So meanwhile, I have all these significant moments about Mount Horeb. So I'm living out in Michigan at this time. This is, you know, there's a few years in here. And uh, I go down to uh, the, the mailbox to grab the mail. And it's, it's a little walk, maybe a quarter mile. And so I'm looking at my mail as I'm walking up. I'm living in a, a little place in Michigan with my sister. So Leslie's way back in Colorado. And uh, I'm looking at the mail, and there's a letter from a girl named Dawn who was at missionary training with me, and she was a girl with cerebral palsy. Because of the Jennifer story that you guys remember, I had reached out to Dawn, and you know, my brother and I both had. It's sort of like, okay, I'm going to take care of anyone with cerebral palsy. I mean, they're going to be an extra special uh, case for me. I'm going to have a, a greater love for them. And so we had created a great bond, uh, my brother, Dawn, and I, and she was a, a, a woman of prayer. She was always praying. And so she prayed for, for us. One of the most significant things probably in that season is Dawn just constantly praying for me and my brother and the significant things that happened as a result of that. So she sends me a letter. I hadn't heard from Dawn in a couple of years. She sends me a letter. And so I come back in and I turn on the stereo unit and I open the letter and I'm reading it. And Dawn says, I had a dream last night. And Eric, this is, may sound strange, but I'm going to tell it to you. I had a dream you were in it. You were standing at the foot of a great mountain, and that your generation was around you, and you called out to them, follow me up the mountain of the Lord. At this moment as I'm reading this, I'm shaking, and I kneel down because I couldn't even stand, and I'm crying, and you know what song is playing? How beautiful is playing in the background, okay? So you just need to notate this. This is all very significant in how God has orchestrated my life. Because when people say, do you know what you're here on earth for? I do. How do you know? I don't know. I've stepped into some awkward zones. And when you do and you live out there, God's grace forms your understanding. It's like you become malleable clay and the potter begins to work on you. So Leslie and I are married. So obviously time is passing, right? I'm skipping a lot of great stuff. Leslie and I are married, and we are in Wisconsin. We're staying in a, a guest house, and this couple comes to pick us up, and they're going to take us to our next event, which we had been told was, oh, I don't remember where they said we were going. I want to say like Milwaukee or something, but I, I don't remember exactly where it was. And uh, so it was just sort of a placeholder. And so we're driving down the road, and I look at the road sign as it's going down. And I'm one of those classic guys that looks at signs. I'm always noticing signs. And so you know what it said on the sign? Mount Horeb, eight miles. And I said it out loud. I go, Mount Horeb? So Leslie could hear it too. And they go, oh, yeah, that's where you're speaking today. 
We're speaking in Mount Horeb? I thought we were speaking in Milwaukee or whatever it was. And they go, no, I'm sorry. That's just, it's just that was the only place that you probably would recognize. I didn't figure you'd know what Mount Horeb was. I'm speaking in Mount Horeb today. And they said, yeah, it's a satanic high place. Oh. Literally almost every lawn in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin has a troll in it. It is a weird place. And so this is a place where Satanism has taken hold. It's Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. And so it's a high place, a satanic high place, a celebratory place for the Satanists. And that's where we're speaking in some small church in Mount Horeb. It's like, oh, this is great. However, the significance was not lost on me. However, as I get into the church, I forget about all of that. All that I've already told you isn't in my head. I have what is possibly up to that point the worst audience I have ever had. So the way that we would do it is I would get up for about 15 minutes and I'd warm up the audience so that the, the audience was ready for Leslie. And so that was my way of serving my wife is just to prepare an audience. And I would be more comical and humorous and they would laugh and they would loosen up and then Leslie has an easier audience. Whoa, it wasn't working quite that way today. They were like staring daggers at us. I remember this one girl, she was in the third row. She's staring straight past me to this brick wall behind me as if I would kill you if I could. That was the feeling you're getting from it. Okay, so I finish up my little set and I'm like, oh no. And I sit down, Leslie gets up and after about five minutes, she sits down right next to me. She just ends. She sits down next to me. We have a three-hour message, by the way. So just to give you an idea how far into this we are. And Leslie sits down next to me and whispers. She goes, I'm not speaking to that group again. So I'm mad. I'm officially mad. If they're going to treat, they can treat me that way, but they're not going to treat my wife that way. So I get up, and instead of saying something, some kind of rebuke, I say, guys, we're taking a break. Could I talk with the leadership in the back? So that was, what, 20 minutes into the message, we're taking a break. And so we go back, and we spend about the next hour. And I told the leadership exactly what I thought. And I, was, I said, I want every single person in here that doesn't want to be here, out. I'm not feeding pearls to swine. If they don't want to hear it, they can leave. I was, I was mad. Okay? I, was, I was mad, basically, in how they treated my wife. Okay? And so I'm upset. So we're all praying. We, it was about an hour. Okay? We're praying, God, prepare the hearts, soften the hearts. If someone is supposed to hear this, may they be able to hear it. But I mean, it was hard soil. Okay? Remember, I forget that this is a satanic high place. None of that's in my head. I'm just thinking they mistreated my wife. All this other stuff that you know about isn't in my brain at this point. So we pray, and I still am dead set that I'm going to excuse every single one of them. So we had 20 minutes of speaking and then an hour break. And I come out there, and I'm ready to say, hey, guys, I want you out of here if you don't want to be here. And I mean it. I want you out. Okay, if you want, even if there's one of you that wants to hear it, I'll pour out my life for you. Okay, but I want everyone else, and this is what I was prepared to say. So I walk up in front of this audience and suddenly something changes inside of me. Weirdest thing. The love of God flows into me towards them. And suddenly I have such a burden for this audience. I'm feeling what God feels for them. And so I start talking to them. I start exhorting them. The words are coming to me. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with what we usually talk about. I'm completely off reservation, off the program. And I look up, and I remember the sound booth was up top, and I said, could you put on some background music? And I start talking to them, and I'm challenging their soul, and if I could summarize what I said, I said, look, people, 
I'm headed up a mountain of the Lord. I want to reach the heights with Jesus Christ. I don't want to stay down in the lowlands. I want to climb up to where he is. I want to go up to these higher realms that our generation has not yet explored. Follow me up the mountain of the Lord. I saw a complete transformation. This isn't a matter of 10 minutes after I start. Usually it takes hours to warm up an audience like this. After about 10 minutes, this is one of the most hardened audiences I've ever seen in my life. And that girl in the third row is crying. And I said, I want you guys, if you're ready, I want you to come up to the front and get on your face before the living God. And so they start flooding up to the room. Like almost everyone in the room floods to the front. They're on their face. And I'm praying for them, and I have this realization. What is taking place? I'm in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, challenging this generation to follow me up the mountain of the Lord. And what's playing in the background is how beautiful. The beauty of how God could orchestrate something like that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. That's the awkward zone. You step into the awkward zone. You make yourself available to God to do things that are completely uncomfortable for you. And what you see is sensational. You see God knitting together your life, forging your calling, giving you understanding of what it is you're here on earth for. Where does that happen? Well, usually when your mouth is dry, your brain is a little uh, fumbling, and you are having a tough time figuring out even how to get words one after the other. You're in God territory now. And when you step into that territory, you will find that God will meet you. This is a testimony, personal testimony I'm giving you right now. This is how it works, guys. And every Christian throughout the ages would concur and give a hearty amen. You want to grow with Jesus? You need to get uncomfortable. You need to be willing to cross that threshold into territory that right now you're afraid of. Don't try and live your life in your comfort zone. Don't try and define the territory of your willingness. Let God define where you need to go and how you need to get there. And if you do, he'll grow you strong. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take us into this territory. Take us by the hand, even today. May we begin to recognize where we are standing and how we are craving comfort. And may we recognize that there is a territory of grace. There is a territory of dependency right there in front of us, if we would take it. Lord, there's many of us in here that have been asked by your Holy Spirit to do things in this time that we've been here on this campus that we have said no to, that we've resisted. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that right now we would repent of that and that we would go and do those things. We would begin to actually take forward movement, forward steps, and that we would see that you would give us your words, that you would give us that grace in that time of need. Your grace is sufficient, Lord. So we lean on you and we ask that you would do this work in us in a mighty and powerful way. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. 
Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.